Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Author T.K. Canyon came by to talk with me tonight here at the Reader House Author Roundtable in his new book, A River to Goodbye. He celebrates man's best friend. TK, thank you for talking with me tonight. Thank you for having me, Corey. So what is A River to Goodbye all about? Could you tell me? Uh, This book is the true life story of a boy's desire to own his own dog. He wants a companion to travel the countryside with him and pursue a small game. Once he purchases that first dog, it's an Irish setter he named Scarlet, the incredible lifelong journey begins. It's a life filled with the unwavering devotion and companionship of his beautiful dogs. In my case, a lifetime of Irish setters. The book talks about how life is like a river flowing along with many twists and turns, times of calm, times of turbulence, and everything in between. It talks about how life's decisions must be made in the times of good and bad experiences. The book talks about God and how you can know you have a Father in Heaven who cares and loves you through those experiences. Our Heavenly Father will use all life experiences to shape, grow, and mature you in ways you otherwise would not. And as an extra to the humankind, He gives us the beautiful companionship of dogs to travel our river life with us, and that really is my story. I can look back and remember which dogs were with me at the various stages of my life and how much having them at my side and my family side meant to me and my family. An incredible blessing to have the devotion of my beautiful furry friends on this journey we call life. So how did this book come about? How did you decide to tell your story to the world? To to tell you the truth, it was a movement by God, in in my opinion. I was working a career in network communications, and that career took a turn. And I finally found myself, after 31 years, being done with that career. The logical thing is to what? Jump right back into that career somewhere else. And I did take some other positions, but to tell you the truth, Corey, nothing ever felt quite right. As time went, I felt the calling for God wanted me to write a book. I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, what do you want me to write a book for? You know, but uh, it, it stayed steady. And finally, you know, after an opportunity to watch my infant granddaughter came up, I went ahead and took that out. I went ahead and watched her. And that's where God actually provided me that time to write because she would take nice long naps. And during those nice long naps, I was able to start writing. And once I started writing, Corey, that book just poured out of me like it was always meant to be written. Now, there is something truly special about dogs, about the companionship, about their personality. What would you say is the appeal of man's best friend? Oh, I think it's the love and devotion you get from all the different dogs you own. You know, it's funny because every one of them has a little different personality. They're much, much like children. You know, every dog is its own dog, so to speak. The love they provide and the companionship, I like to say, they make you feel like the most important person whenever you come home. You know, you have this pooch that's running around, jumping, coming to you, wanting to be pet, wanting to be loved up. And they just make you that most important person in their world. And they make you even feel like it. 
And so that feeling and that companionship to have travel you uh, with this, with your life's journey, it's just precious to so many people, including myself. Well, thank you for bringing your message out for the rest of us to enjoy and, and to benefit from. The book is A River to Goodbye by T.K. Canyon. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. And you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you shop for books. TK, thanks again for coming by the show. I had a really good time talking with you tonight. Thank you so much, Corey. I've had a nice time being with you. Paula Stewart-Williams has quite a story to tell of her life in the United States. And she does that in her book, Let Me Tell You About My Life Story and My Living Testimony. Paula is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Paula, thank you for stopping by the show tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Can you tell me what your book's about? My book is about my past life 22 years ago and the struggle that I had with my depression, my marriage, and being, and being a single parent. And where do you come from originally? I'm originally from Jamaica. So this is the story of a lot of hardships and a lot of things you went through. Can you give us a little taste of the kind of things that you've experienced? In my marriage, my husband was abusive and wasn't very supportive, put it like that. And I speak of the struggle that I had with my depression, what I went through, how I was treated and everything. And like I said, also being as a single parent, the obstacles that I had to face and what I had to go through. It can't be easy telling this story, putting it out there for the world. What was it like writing this for you? Well, you know, it was, I felt good releasing it, releasing and just telling my story out there to others because there's so much people going through abusive relationships, going through depression, and it's not easy being a single parent. Hmm. It's not easy. Were single parents your primary audience you had in mind when you wrote this, or were you thinking of a broader readership? When I do wrote this book, I, I'm trying to reach out like the people with, um, who are suffering from depression, abusive relationship. And like I said, I know during the cover that's going on, a lot of people is suffering and going through all of that. It's like they're struggling with, with a lot of stuff going on in their life. People going through anxiety, panic attack, and all that kind of stuff. Well, thank you for using what you've been through to reach out to others. Have you written before? Do you have anything published before this? No, this is my first book. Oh, congratulations. How's it feel thank to you. have a book out there for the world? Well, I felt good because I, I really feel good within myself just telling my story and releasing it because there are so much people out there trying to tell my story and they're trying to turn it the way how they want to turn it. I don't need nobody to tell my story because can't nobody tell my story better than I can. What advice would you have for other people who have a story to tell? They know they can help others, but they just can't get that first one out there. Do you have advice for these aspiring authors? You have to believe in yourself and let people know when you go out there and tell your story. Hopefully it will be encouraging and supportive to somebody will able to uplift the person. You can set an example for so many people in their life. Do you have a person in your life, an individual who has inspired you or encouraged you along the journey of, of writing? You know what? It was just the Lord was giving me vision a couple of years, and he was like just saying, tell your story, tell your story, and I have been delaying it. 
it was like he gave me a vision again last year, October, and said, tell your story. And then next morning I wake up, I just start writing the book. And it was like, as I was writing, the words was just flowing. The Lord was just putting it in me, what I need to write. And it, it was just flowing. Well, thank you for telling your story and, again, reaching out to others. This book is called Let Me Tell You About My Life Story and My Living Testimony by Paula Stewart-Williams. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your books. Well, Paula, thank you again for stopping by the show tonight. I had a great time chatting with you. You're welcome. Discovering the C5 is a new children's book that's out now through Fulton Books. And I'm talking with the author, Philosopher One, right now. Thank you for coming by the show tonight. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Can you tell me about Discovering the C5? What's it all about? I'm happy to do that. As a fun and educational work, the book portrays the experiences of two wayward but smart children who were just quote-unquote, discovering the sea the first time or firsthand. The kids took nothing with them except keen minds, which proved to be what they most needed. On their tour, they were attracted to the water, waves, the horizon, the sand, shells, marine life, and much more. The book shows them taking none of these for granted, but openly displaying childish excitement and amazement towards them, as well as curiosity, yielding questions about seafood sustainability and sea pollution, among others. By choice, many of these questions await answers from discussions led by parents or teachers who are expected to ensure the book with them. Where did the idea or inspiration to write this come from? The idea came from my frequent visits to the sea of late. I just become somewhat obsessed with the sea. And have you ever written before? Yes, I've written several things. The largest of which was math workbook, which I tried to self-publish, and that was about in 2003. Writing a children's book is certainly a different kind of writing. How was that process for you? Was it easy? Yes, it was easy since I've uh, been a teacher working with children of the age group for which I am catering here. So uh, it wasn't difficult. Did you have a certain age range of children in mind when you wrote it? Yes, I did. I wanted to write for kids uh, who were anywhere between five and nine years of age. Now, especially when it comes to children's books, the illustrations are really important. What was it like working with an illustrator and getting that coordinated with what your vision was for this? Uh, well, it was, I'd say, normal, where I had to, or we had to go through several amendments. But I, I think that was a normal thing in order to achieve something suitable for a book as this. Would you have any words of wisdom for aspiring authors looking to publish their book? I sure would. I would advise them that this is really a great thing to do. However, uh, it would be best if they would seek to write what is in demand. 
and of course remind them or make them know that this business of becoming an author successfully really requires a lot of homework. There is a lot of hard work that goes into writing a book. A lot of people, I don't think, fully realize that. About how long did it take you to get this all done? This took me about nine months to be completed. Well, we certainly thank you for your creativity and putting this out there and sharing some important messages for children. Again, this is Discovering the C5 by Philosopher One. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it at Amazon and Barnes & Noble on iTunes and Google Play and everywhere else you shop for books. Well, Philosopher One, thank you for stopping by the show tonight. I had a really great time talking with you. It was my great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Healing and Hope are at the center of the new book, The Tapestry of Grief. It's about love. Grief touches everyone. I'm talking with the author, Joy C. Ellis, right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Joy, thank you for being here with me tonight. You're more than welcome. So The Tapestry of Grief, can you tell me what your book's all about? The name actually defines it. There are many levels to grief, and the tapestry disorientates people. And since we're living in a world of grief right now and loss, it speaks to the different layers and how they collide with what we consider normal when we experience direct grief. And there are so many layers of grief, the loss of homes, the loss of lives, the loss of jobs, the loss of a lifestyle. And in this pandemic era, the loss of normalcy. So we're in a, a stage of grieving. And tapestry, if you look at a tapestry, there are many, many layers to it that come together. And what I have discovered in my own journey of grief is that there are layers that are hidden that we're not aware of. And so when we experience them, we have no way of identifying what's happening or tools to manage the enormous range of emotions that grief takes us to. How did the idea to write this come about? What was your inspiration? The death of a woman that I loved for 27 years. Mm. That's right. And something useful, good, positive, something that mattered in the world. That's where that came from, the dust of that. That I had to do something about what I was experiencing and there didn't seem to be an area in any book or exploration of grief that addressed these issues that I was experiencing. And along with eight other women that were experiencing death or loss, they were having the same occurrences. And so I began, I'm a teacher by nature, I began to document what was happening and what had happened and how to incorporate that in a way that is more balanced in, in a way that I could manage it. You know, we had a lady that had been married for 54 years, and in one month, her life changed forever, forever. And then 18 months later, her son died. So she was in a tailspin because she was going through what I call the gray area. It's associated with widow's brain, but it's also associated with what people are now describing as fog brain. And it's a period of disorientation completely, beginning with the self, the sense of who you were before the event took place, and a moment after the event, who you are now, who you are now becoming, as I put it, because you can't be who you were. 
in this world, as I understand it, the globe <laughs> is in a state or a stage, as Kubler-Ross would say, one or the other on a level of grief that we've never known. And most of us are in the gray area, the disorientation, the wondering who I am now, the wondering <laughs> what just happened to me and my life. Well, Joy, thank you for having the courage to tell your story and to use everything that you've gone through in your life to help others. The book is called The Tapestry of Grief. It's about love. Grief touches everyone. It's by Joy C. Ellis and published by Fulton Books. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere you buy your books. Well, Joy, thank you again for coming by the show tonight. I had a really good time talking with you. Well, thank you. Thank you, and you do be blessed. A lot of us have had experience with bullying in one way or another in our lives. Maria Paguaga Colado gives a biblical perspective in her new book, Stop the Bully, with the Angel of Friendship. Maria is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Maria, thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome. Can you tell me about Stop the Bully? What's this book about? So it's a book about a young lady who experiences some bullying in her elementary school, which a lot of children today experience this during those formative years. She decides to rely on God and on the power of prayer to get through the situation that she's going through. And um, it gives a biblical perspective on how we could be handling this to please God and to also have good strategies, nonviolent strategies, to handle a situation where you're getting bullied. That's such a great message. How did this book come about? Where'd you get the idea to write it? Well, I was bullied as a child. And to be honest with you, I also bullied uh, when I got older. Mm. Through time and working with children, I learned how God feels about us and how God wants us to handle these things. I refer always to John 8:31, which says, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So a lot of these children that are bullying and children that are also bullied don't know how much they are loved by God. They don't know that if they hold to his teachings, they will be set free. I think that that's something I've learned in my journey with God and that I would like children to learn as well. And unfortunately, it's not taught in a lot of our schools today. Mm. Now, are parents your primary audience that you were speaking to here, or is it broader? Well, I think I'm speaking to anybody who's interested in reading the book. I'm speaking to teachers, I'm speaking to counselors, I'm speaking to the students and to the parents themselves, yes. And is this the first time you've written or been published? Yes, it is my first published book. Congratulations! What a huge accomplishment that is to have a published work out there. How's it feel now to be a, an officially published author? It feels great. Like I said, any way that God can use me, I'm willing to be used by him. So I hope that it helps many and touches many lives. That's mm. my hope and prayer. Mm. Writing a book, getting a book published is a lot of hard work. I'm sure you learned that. Do you have any words of wisdom now for people who want to embark on that same journey? You know, I, I wrote it and then I tweaked it quite a bit, I have mm -hmm. to say. And I think that's okay. It's a process. What I say to people is just write, just go ahead and do it, and then let the rest flow. You know, God will be in control of the whole thing. Hmm, absolutely. Now, looking down the road, are you thinking about writing more, maybe getting more published? Yes, I would love to. I'm not sure what my next topic will be. I am thinking about writing something about suicide. I mean, I had a child this week tell me that he felt he was worthless 
he actually told a teacher and, uh-huh. and then I told him and we spoke about what that means and how untrue that is. So I think that those type of thoughts when you're young, this particular child was a second grader, are thoughts that lead you to worse thoughts as you get older. And I think that nipping it right when you can, as soon as those thoughts start and teaching them the truth of the word of God is going to be, you know, very crucial in lowering these type of statistics that we're seeing today. That's really great advice. What's the most difficult part about writing for you? Giving myself deadlines Mm. (laughs) is hard. (laughs) I like to have a lot of freedom in what I'm doing, and I don't always have that. There comes a point where you have to get it done. So I think that is probably the hardest part for me. Mm. Well, thank you, Maria, for putting this out there, for reaching out to help people. Again, this is Stop the Bully with the Angel of Friendship by Maria Paguaga Colado, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, everywhere you shop for books. Maria, again, thank you for coming by the show tonight. I had a great time chatting. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be joined right now by author Jerry Key at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're talking about his new book, War Stories and Other Lies. It's out in stores now. Jerry, thanks for stopping by the show tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, can you tell me about War Stories and Other Lies? I, I love the title. Yes, uh, I was an Air Force fighter pilot during Vietnam and a few years later. As fishermen will tell you, there's great fisherman stories. The further you get from the event, the greater those stories are. Hmm. I kind of use that uh, as a play on words. Talk about my time during the Vietnam War. It's kind of like fisherman stories. The further you get from the actual event, the greater it is. And you use a sense of humor throughout this whole thing. I, I came into this expecting war stories. Okay, this is, this is going to be pretty serious stuff, but you keep it kind of light. Well, I like to do that. I've always tried to be humorous in my life. Several events have aided me in, <laughs> in that endeavor. So I do try to keep it light and I try to make it interesting as well as telling my story. Was there anything in particular that uh, inspired you or gave you the idea to write this book and then get it published? Well, yes, actually there was. I had an uncle who served in World War II. He would tell myself and my brother and me about his adventures during the Second World War. We were, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. And of course, young boys of that age, the stories he told were absolutely fascinating. I just thought how great those stories are. I don't have any children of my own, so I thought, well, maybe my nieces and nephews would like to hear some of the things that I did during the war. And so I thought, well, I'll just put down a few stories and tell them about some of the adventures and some of the more exciting missions I had during Vietnam. I flew 264 combat missions in the F-100 Super Sabre fighter, single-seat, single-engine jet fighter. So I started off just writing down a few little stories about (laughs) my summer vacation in Vietnam. It reminded me of something that happened earlier in my life or after the war. And so I would just jot that down. And the end result of that was I just kind of started from my beginning all the way through my retirement. I kind of just put it down on paper and ended up being what they call a memoir, I guess. I hadn't planned that, but By the time I got through telling some of the stories from my childhood through my college days into Air Force Vietnam, later into when I flew in England, and then flew with the New Mexico Air National Guard. I flew fighter planes for them for an additional 17 years, and 
finally on to Continental Airlines, where I flew, of course, around the world in various passenger aircraft. And so it was kind of a, well, let me tell my nieces and nephews a couple of these war stories like my uncle did for me. And that led me all the way through my whole life in the end. There are a few that I have forgotten along the way. I've told my wife a couple of stories, and she said, why don't you put that in your book? And I said, yeah, there's probably not enough there to put in another book. But I do enjoy writing. I've written poems, and I, I was vice president of my high school class, and we have a reunion every year, and I'm asked to be the master of ceremonies for that. And I sat down and did write a, two or three pages about memories of our high school mates that had passed on and things like that, short things, yeah. But as far as put a book together, I really don't have any plans to do that. Well, Jerry, thank you for telling your story and getting this one out there. It's called War Stories and Other Lies by Jerry Key, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you shop for books. Jerry, again, thanks for coming by the show tonight. I had a great time talking with you. Oh, great. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Finding a Lucky Penny leads to adventure and more in Tales from a Penny, A Trip to the Zoo, the new book by Bird Britt. Bird stopped by the show tonight to talk with me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here with me tonight, Bird. Sure. I'm glad to be here. So can you tell us what Tales from a Penny is all about? Sure. It's about a little boy who finds a lucky penny on his way to the zoo with his mom. And at the zoo, they get to see different animals. And then something happens to the penny. That's sort of the overview of what it's about. Mm. How did the idea for this come about? Well, many years ago, maybe like 30 years ago, I received some change back from a purchase. And in that change was a penny from 1889. And I thought to myself, gosh, I wonder what stories Mm. this penny could tell after all these years. You know, who's had it, where it's been, all that. And so I got the idea to write a children's story with the penny being part of the story as it gets passed around between different kids. Did you have an age group that you were writing for? Yes. Well, it's a picture book, so it's for ages probably like three to six, something in that range. Now, you mentioned the pictures, you know, illustrations in a children's book are so important. What was that process like for you working with an illustrator? They asked me what I wanted or what my vision was for each of the illustrations. At first, I wasn't sure how I was going to go about it. But as I reread the story that I had written, the pictures started coming to my mind. And so I wrote that down, what I wanted, and the illustrators were really good and did exactly what I asked. We went back and forth with some different versions of it, but I was very happy with the outcome. Writing a book is a lot of hard work. I don't think a lot of people fully realize that until you try to write a book. How easy of a process was it for you? Take you a long time? Well, it took me years before I actually did it. But once I sat down and wrote the outline, it sort of flowed. And that went on for about two or three months as I did different revisions. Then when the publisher came into into getting the book, it took us maybe another eight months of working with the illustrators and doing the cover design and all of that. I wrote the book in 2017. So it's been three years for the whole process. 
Do you have any words of advice for aspiring authors that are looking to do the same thing and write their first book? I think the hardest thing is to sit down and write that first word or the outline. Just you have to sit down and make yourself start doing it. And once you get the manuscript all together, then you have to be really persistent if you want to get it published and look at the different publishers that are around. And there's a lot of different avenues you can take, whether it's with the traditional publisher or self-pub. if you self-publish. There's a lot of options, but you have to be really persistent to see it actually come true. Do you plan on continuing writing, maybe getting some more books out there? I do. When I sat down and started this, I actually wrote the title to five different books in the series. So the next one, I've written the basic parts of it, and it tells from a pity a trip to the park. And in that one, there's a couple strong female characters that I bring in to play with that one. I do plan to write more, yes. That's fantastic. We're looking forward to seeing you more out there. This book is called Tales from a Penny, A Trip to the Zoo by Bird Britt. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere that you shop for books. Well, Bird, thank you again for coming by the show tonight. I had a really good time talking with you. Same here. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Dr. Jeffrey Trigo offers some wellness advice in his new book, To Heal a Nation, a Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Wellness Guide. Dr. Trigo is joining me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Dr. Trigo, thank you for being here with me tonight. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So can you tell me about what you wrote about in To Heal a Nation? A lot of passion, a lot of research, a lot of joy went into writing that book. You know, I have a heart that the public would know that God doesn't make junk. There's a lot of wisdom in the Bible about natural remedies and health and healing and wonderful divine design. And the book really gives back to the public, you know, wisdom that, you know, our bodies are self-healing entities. We heal, we repair, we metabolize, we grow. And life is, uh, should be a joy. We shouldn't be full of disease and arthritis and early stages of A through Z at young ages. And it's a very great preventative wellness book that will uh, really stoke America. It should stoke the world. It should change the world because the whole focus is on not mainstream media that tells you your body needs something to swallow to get well. Here's a pill. Here's a shot. Here's a potion, a lotion, a bolt, a screw. Mm. It's a whole paradigm shift. It's health comes within. I teach how that works and why it works. And, you know, we address a lot of different facets of health, whether it's exercise, nutrition, joint motion, nerve supply, toxicities, deficiencies, mental health, spiritual health. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful truth get expressed throughout the book with proven remedies and really natural, fast results. So is there anything in particular that inspired you or persuaded you to write the book and, and publish it? Absolutely. I was born into a chiropractic family, and my whole life I was getting adjusted. And every time I got adjusted, whatever that condition was, whatever that pain was, whatever that syndrome was, went away. And I asked my father, Dad, you know, I used to have migraines in your neck adjustment. I don't have migraines anymore. Why does that adjustment cure something like that? And he went on to explain at a young age how the brain, spinal cord, and nerves are the master system and control and coordinate all organs, tissue cells, glands, muscle, and skin of the whole body. And that that adjustment to a locked vertebra called 
subluxation, that adjustment to the spine unleashes that inner healer and the brain, spinal cord, and nerve can work unimpaired. It, it explained how like it's similar to taking a car off a hose and now the water can flow. When you take a bone off a nerve, that neuroelectrical impulse can reach that lung and heal that asthma on the child. And it blew me away when I learned that, that adjustment would put back into normal function and that nausea or that vertigo would be gone and it regulate the uh, it regulates everything. So the nerves are very important. And I got excited at a young age because every time I got hurt or slammed in sports and had injuries, I'd get adjusted. I recovered. And it was something that I wanted to give back. This is out in stores now. It's called To Heal a Nation, a Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Wellness Guide by Dr. Jeffrey Trigo. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, everywhere that you shop for your books. Well, Dr. Trigo, thank you again for coming on the show tonight. I had a great time talking with you. It was an absolute pleasure. I look forward to the change in America. I look forward to people getting well because a fear of an adjustment is gone and they go to their local chiropractor. I'll leave you with this. The goal-setting exercise in the book's amazing. Do it one by one as you write down your answers and it'll change your life. Author Sissy Bragan's new children's book is a fun adventure with valuable lessons. It's called The Light and the Leprechaun. Sissy came by the show tonight to chat with me. Sissy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Well, I've been looking forward to talking with you. Could you tell me what The Light and the Leprechaun is all about? Yes, it's about a brother and sister, Drew and Beth, who go to school on St. Patrick's Day, and their teacher tells them a story about a leprechaun and how they put out their pot of gold when there's a light rain shower and the sun comes out. And when they put it in the sun, it makes this beautiful rainbow in the sky. When the sun goes away, the leprechaun grabs his gold and runs as fast as he can and takes it back into his hiding place. Well, the teacher tells the kids that leprechauns love honey and butter and bread, and they sleep in a bed of clover, and their favorite flower is the golden marigold. Well, the sister is kind of an impish one, Beth, and she convinces her brother to see if they can go into the woods and find a leprechaun. And he's skeptical. He's like, oh, there's no leprechauns. And she said, well, just because you haven't seen one, that doesn't mean they don't exist. As they're wandering in the woods, they hear the sound of cries for help. They follow the sounds and they find this little man all tied up in these vines, all wrapped up. So they help him escape and he takes them under his wing. It's late and they're lost, so they go back to, he's a Sprite, his name is Ollie, and they go back to Spriteville. You know, they have a little party and they feed him and everything. So the next day, they spend the night and he asks them, what were they doing in the woods? Why were they so lost? And they didn't want to tell him, but finally Beth says, well, we're trying to find a leprechaun. So, but we're lost and we need to go back because I know my mother's worried. So he says, okay, you saved me, so I'm going to give you a favor. And he gives him a magic crystal. And he said, this will lead you home. You hold out your hand and it will glow pink and that will tell you you're going in the right direction. But he said, if it glows green, that means there's a leprechaun very near. Make a long story short, they wander through and they, the light all of a sudden uh, turns black, the little crystal, and they're thinking, what is this? <laughs> and it doesn't look good, so they, they think, danger, danger. So they start to run and they trip, and the black crystal rolls into this snarly-looking pan with this tall man with these evil eyes, and they're in the haunted forest. And he wants to know what they were doing and, she, and what is this black stone. And she said, oh, it's just a pretty rock. But the evil Ardan doesn't believe him that they sound too phony. So they finally confess when he threatens to hurt the sister. The brother confesses it's a magic crystal. So it does, in fact, lead them to the leprechaun. But 
when he has to give over his gold, it will kill him. And they don't want to, the leprechaun to die if he gets rid of his gold. So I will leave it there. Mm. But I will tell you, it has a nonviolent and a happy ending. They do, through their wit and smarts, they get away from the evil argon. Sounds like a really fun story. How did you get the idea for it? Well, I just have a kind of a wild imagination, I think. When we were kids, we were raised at home. You know, most of the mothers didn't work. I'm very old. <laughs> but our mothers mostly stayed home, and we were raised there. So we, we amused ourselves. We entertained ourselves. You know, we came up playing make-believe. Whereas I think today the kids are so busy. Most of the families or parents are working. So the kids are either in school or they're in a daycare or they're in an after-school program. So they really don't have that much time, I don't think, to just explore their imagination and run with it. But I had two young girls, and I just thought, I want to make something make-believe that I can read to them, and they'll enjoy and stir their imagination also. Well, Sissy, thank you for teaching children and putting these really valuable lessons out there in your books. This book's called The Light and the Leprechaun by Sissy Bregan. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere that you shop for your books. Well, Sissy, thank you again for coming on the show tonight. I had a really good time having you and chatting with you tonight. Well, thank you so much, and I, I hope everybody will enjoy reading the book. I'm sitting down right now and talking with author Paula Clark here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Paula, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me today. Your new book is out there right now. It's called From Prayer to Praise, Looking at Our Relationship with Christ Through Honest Eyes, to become the prayer warriors God created us to be. So can you tell me about how you address prayer in this book? It was an attempt just to be honest, started out in my own life, to find out if I really had the the burning fire that I needed to in my prayer life, to become more honest with the Father about my position. Did I have, have some of those little unseen things that I needed to address in my own life so that my prayer could burn brighter? I didn't want it to seem systematic. I didn't want it to be, you know, A, B, C. Every day I just pray this and I pray that. It becomes repetitious. I wanted it to be open and fluid with the Father so that I could accomplish whatever it is that He needs to fulfill in and through my life. About how long did it take you to put this all together and then get it published? The book itself went together very quickly. I wrote it in probably six to seven months, and then to be candid, I sort of sat on it for a while, and Hmm. the Lord said, I gave you this, why are you dragging your feet on it? (laughs) And so I went ahead and I fulfilled that process. I ended up, you know, the book started just me writing it here at home on my own, and then afterwards I reached out to, you know, the publisher and began to go ahead and put that process together. I am now retired full-time, and so uh, the the time was there. To be quite honest with you, it was me uh, dragging my feet a little bit. <laughs> I wasn't hearing the Lord in, in prayer. <laughs> I guess I didn't want to hear for Him to say, go ahead and finish this. I thought it was going to just be a little thing I would write. I would read it here at home. I'd be encouraged by it, but a little hesitant to go all the way through with it. But I'm so glad that I did because This journey of writing this book was about being obedient myself in fulfilling what he told me to do, and I hope that other people would enjoy it as well. Oh, I'm glad you did, too. It's such a huge hurdle for authors. You know, you created this thing, and now you're opening it up for everybody to either enjoy or maybe even criticize. So it's scary. It is. Yeah, it can be. It can feel intimidating, and I I think 
perhaps that's one of the reasons I did set after I had it written on it for a little bit. I, I felt like, you know, well, God told me to do this. Uh, I had already written uh, music that I would sing in church. So I, I, I'm familiar with the writing process, not with books, only with music, devotional pieces that would be used on a much smaller format. For him to tell me to write the book was a lot bigger obstacle for me to do. But when he said to do it, I did, and that was fine. But then I thought it was going to be just a me thing. I really didn't consider it going to be a, a, a go all the way with it. I, I'll be honest with you. I was pretty naive on that, on that regard. You know, the nice thing about this book is the purpose of this book is to try and encourage someone for their lives to be touched and their prayer lives burn hotter. I always said, if I'm the only one that owns the book, then I still have been obedient to God and I did what I was supposed to do. But I hope that someone out there does enjoy it. So, <laughs> mm. Well, Paula, thank you for talking with me tonight. Your book is called From Prayer to Praise, Looking at Our Relationship with Christ Through Honest Eyes to Become the Prayer Warriors God Created Us to Be. It's out there right now through Christian Faith Publishing. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, everywhere that you shop for your books. It's by Paula Clark. Paula, thanks again for talking with me tonight. And thank you so much. You all have a wonderful, blessed day. Author Caitlin Wolfkin Gibbs teaches important lessons in her new children's book, Runaway Fox. Caitlin is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Caitlin, thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So what is Runaway Fox all about? The idea kind of came to me from from raising my own three kids. You know, I think that sometimes children struggle with big emotions, and I sometimes think that their guardians and parents and, and you know, adults in their lives can struggle with how to help them see it through to a, a better place, and, and that's what Runaway Fox tries to help us do. How did the story with the fox, the idea for that, how did that come about? Well, the fox, it just, it's silly. It happens to be my oldest favorite animal. We have a mural of a fox on the wall. The story itself about deciding to run away and, and then packing up important items are attached to positive memories and positive emotions. That just kind of, of came to us because he said, you know, I, I don't want to live here anymore. I think all of us have done that as children. I think a lot of us with children have experienced that. And, you know, that was kind of the way that we walked him through it. And we just thought that it would be a great idea for a story. What's your writing background like? Well, I work in the financial services industry, and so I don't really do a ton of this there, but I was an English major at Boston University, did some creative writing there, but really it was more from a place of parenting, really, than a desire to be an author. My husband and I, you know, kind of thought this would be a wonderful thing to do for our children, and then, you know, we just kind of thought it was a great next step to try to publish it. How was that whole process, doing the illustrations and getting everything ready to be published. Was that easy for you? You know, the, the publisher helped us along the way and helped me, you know, get there. And, you know, luckily we dealt with a, a wonderful artist who helped with the illustrations and everything. And it all came together pretty easily. So we were lucky. What advice would you have for somebody who wants to go out there and get their book published, embark on this journey? It's a lot of hard work. So do you have any advice? I would just say put your pen to paper and get your ideas out there. Um, you know, I really think that's what writing is all about. If you have a wonderful idea, getting it out there and sharing it is the best thing you can do as an author and as an artist. Write it all down and get it to a place where you love it and, and just send it out to as many publishers as possible and see if you can get it picked up. 
Are you still writing more? Do you plan on getting more published? I would love to, but I think, you know, I, I can't force an idea. If a wonderful idea comes to us, and I think being a mom, you know, you are presented with a lot of these situations. So if anything else pops up and we feel like we could turn it around this way, like we've done with Runaway Fox, um, I would love to do it again. There are a lot of challenges being an author and a parent. How do you deal with the balance? Being a parent and being anything else is challenging. Just being a parent is challenging. (laughs) You know, you find the time, just like you find the time to pay your bills, do your grocery shopping, wrap your presents, everything. You know, it's just, you just find the time. Absolutely. Well, Caitlin, thank you for writing this. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. The book is Runaway Fox by Caitlin Wolfkin Gibbs. It's published by Fulton Books. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play, everywhere you shop for your books. Well, Caitlin, certainly was a good time chatting with you tonight. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Thank you. Lovely to chat with you. Thanks so much. Ain't No Way is the new book out by Jerry Milam. It's published by Fulton Books. And right now I'm speaking with his brother Jim Milam here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jim, thank you for coming by the show tonight. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you, Corey, for having me. So there's a reason you're here speaking about Jerry's book. So could you give us some background? Yes, uh, Jerry passed away in September, September the 15th, after uh, a few years of some very poor health issues. Mm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Can you tell us what his book is all about? It's actually a Western book where a a particular individual meets up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri with five other people. And they're traveling west, some going home to Wyoming, some to Montana, and some headed to California. And these people, as they're making their travel across, they have gotten the bug to go to California. They think they can possibly find their fortune there. And so they've altered their travel routes, headed that way. And we have a a group of five people, six people that's gone from a stagecoach to covered wagons, making their trip across country quite interesting at the things they run across and the the unexpected uh, adventures they run into. Was Jerry a Western fan? Yes, yes, he was. How much writing did he do throughout his life? Was this one of his first ones or had he been writing a while? Actually, Jerry wrote eight Western pioneer type books. Uh, He wrote six children books. The guy actually even wrote 29 songs. Oh my gosh. He was quite prolific in that. So about how long was he working on it? Sounds like he was a veteran of the process, so it probably got easier as things went on. It did. He could, uh, things, it'd come to Jerry's mind and he'd sit down to start writing and and he could actually be through with the book in a couple of days. Of course, these books were uh, 100, 150 pages long. They weren't very long books, but he, he could make it in two to three days if he stayed after it. And now putting this out there, what kind of legacy would you like to see left for your brother? His legacy, he wanted it to be for his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So they would hopefully know a little bit more about him and and remember him better, and that's it. He even wanted me to try and publish the rest of his books as well, which I may try in time. That's what I was going to ask next. Oftentimes, writers, especially prolific authors like Jerry seems to be, have a lot of unfinished stuff going on, things that they were working on at the time. So there is more out there of his work. Yes, there is. He actually told me which book he wanted to put out next. And that's the name of it is Next. It's a sequel to the one Ain't No Way. 
I thought it was quite interesting. And as I was visiting with him back in the summer, uh, he was telling me that that he, he already had the idea for another book. He didn't have a chance to get started on, but I thought it was quite interesting as a departure from most of his books. This was more of a, a science fiction futuristic type. But yes, the guy was prolific. He he, he wants, wanted more of them done, and that was where it was at for him. So are you pretty involved then in going through what he's written and sort of sorting things out? Yes, I am. I have I have uh, copies of almost everything, most of the original copies, most of them handwritten. Hmm. Jerry, when he would uh, get an idea to write, he would just sit down and start writing it out on a pad of paper and pretty well hang with it till he got it done. Again, it might be two, three, four, five days, but he would he would handwrite it out. Yes, I have been involved. It'd, it'd be interesting if I could actually do that for him. I don't know if that will ever happen, but you know how those things go. Only time will tell. Hmm. Jim, well, thank you for preserving your brother's memory and putting as much of his vision and his creativity out there for the world. This is called Ain't No Way. It's by Jerry Milam, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere that you buy your books. Well, Jim, thank you for stopping by the show again here tonight, and thank you for telling me more about your brother. He certainly seems like he was a special guy. Yes. Thank you, Corey. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m., or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.